welcome to the Vulture TV Podcast. I'm your host, Gazella Mami. On this week's show, the last episode ever of the Vulture TV Podcast, we're taking a little trip down memory lane. I'm here with New York Magazine TV critic Matt Zoller Seitz, who has some food in his mouth. I, 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 was just, I thought I could eat a piece of banana before you said my name, and I, I, I judge poorly. Oh. <laughs> it's a great way to it's a great way to close out a, a wonderful run on this podcast. Uh, yes. But uh, hi, always a pleasure, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and Vulture TV columnist Jen Cheney, how you Hello. doing? I'm all right, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so some of you may not have heard, but this is our final episode of the Vulture TV podcast. And we thought we'd have a little fun with our last episode by remembering some of our favorite moments on the podcast, our favorite guests, our favorite moments among ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. So our producer, Jordan Bell... Hi, Jordan. Hey. Hi, Jordan. <laughs> is going to guide us through a clip show from the past two years and approximately 130 episodes that we've done. Yep. And like any good TV show, I thought we'd start with a clip from the theme song episode. <laughs> <laughs> there are theme songs to TV shows right now that are actively on the air that I that don't that I don't have in my mind as vividly as I do this uh, theme to Angie. You can't sing it for us. Sing a little bit. <laughs> no. Just a little. It's a uh, <laughs> let the time flow. What, what? Let the time go. Let the love flow. Let the rain shower. Let the roses flower. Love is faithful. Love is blind. Uh, God, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's a great song. It's a great song. <laughs> It's really cheesy and great. <laughs> See, I feel like the 70s and 80s were really the, the golden era yeah. of theme songs because there were great ones, but they also would like actually chart, you know, they, they became like radio hits and, and pop hits in a way that that doesn't really happen very often mm -hmm. anymore. My choice is a personal one, and it is the theme from Sanford and Son, <laughs> um, <laughs> written by Quincy Jones, uh, it. It, because A, it's just great, um, B... At my wedding, our wedding party entered to the theme from Sanford and Son. <laughs> because it was like, ba -ba 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 -ba. and then they would announce, ba -ba 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 -ba. and then a new person would come in, and it was very, very lively. <laughs> And then my husband and I entered to the theme from What's Happening, which is another really good Yes, that's another great you know, at the very end, Dwayne's running after the truck or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So um, neither of them have words, but uh, it has that great ba that big bounce and bass that bow. Yes, the bow. Bow. <laughs> bow. It does. I mean, both yeah. of those songs. Just even thinking about them now make me very happy. Yeah. So, wow, Jen. The image of them playing basketball in slow motion helps immensely, <laughs> and it really goes with a bow. Bow. <laughs> I just love that. Your wedding music or TV theme songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, one of my bridesmaids was like, why are we walking into Sanford and Son? Like he ran like a trash dump. Are you saying we're trash? I'm like, no, that's the best song in the world. You should be like <laughs> delighted to walk into that. So. so so, my choice, my first choice is a bit of a newer one, which, you know, we tend to think as we're talking about theme songs is catchy songs that you can kind of often sing along to, not necessarily always. 
but my choice would have to be the theme song for Transparent. It just makes me cry every time I hear it. And it's so tender and somehow captures all these complicated feelings about family in just less than a minute. And I just love it. And other than that, I think if I was looking at kind of more traditionally catchy theme songs, I'd have to go with Three's Company and the classic Cheers, which when I first heard these as a kid, I thought they were the most magical songs I'd ever heard. There's something about the songs from that era that that can't be matched. Taking a break from all your I feel super emotional now. Yeah. <laughs> it's also that it's early in the morning yeah. and I'm always more emotional in the morning. And listening to music always kind of you know, pulls on the heartstrings a bit. Well, it does, and especially <laughs> since, you know, several of those selections are, are specifically designed to be nostalgic and right. push yeah. those buttons. So what are you Never doing to us, Jordan? Bell. What are you doing to us? <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, this clip this clip is very long and very dynamic. I, <laughs> I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, so the, the next one we have here is we're going to take it to the conversation that Jen and Gazelle had with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I wanted to ask about another scene that's a little bit lighter, and I will ask this as delicately as I can. The Obama masturbation scene? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about, like, were you considering other world leaders or other celebrities? How did it come down to President Obama? It came down to Obama. I mean, I imagine he'd be a lot of people's first choice of world leaders. I would think so. Great I, as a biased American, yeah. sure. <laughs> I think um, in the play, it came out of Fleabag really trying. It was like the, it was honestly, it was like the opening of the play. Really, it was her describing that she's in bed and she's trying to get her work done, but she keeps thinking that she wants to look up porn. There was a lot of porn watching in the play. There wasn't really enough time to discuss that whole element of it in the um, TV show as well. But so it starts off with her really wanting to watch porn, trying to stop herself. So she's like, okay, I'm going to just do some work, and she can't do work because she's bored and she gets horny when she's bored and trying to do work and then she's like I'm just going to watch a movie and then she w- watches a movie with Zac Efron 17 again that movie oh. which she actually yeah, discovers yeah. is actually quite a good movie and then um, she and then that's kind of turning around so she's like okay I can't I don't want to watch like a teenage Zac Efron and like, it's not helping and then she's like I'm going to go watch the news and that's going to be boring and it's going to be informative it's going to make me a better person it's going to distract me and then the first thing she clicks on is Obama and that just sends her arousal through the roof and so she just goes <laughs> down <laughs> That's so funny. It was um, the ultimate. I loved that conversation so much. She was yeah, me too. She was one of the most like just easy people to talk to. I felt, Mm -hmm. and I think like before the show, the three of us even talked about taking a road trip across America together. We did. I still we have to to really hoping happens. Which hopefully, yeah, eventually will happen. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but I don't know. You know how much we actually talked about that. that show on this podcast other than that interview episode. So for those of you who haven't seen it, highly recommend Sleabag, six episode British series, all available on it's Amazon. Great. It's really it's great. And she's terrific in it. Yeah. And she, yeah, so she's the star and the creator. So this one um, involves a little bit of singing as well. 
I sense I, I, I it sense a do, theme. It, yeah, I feel like it's probably Matt too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, it might be everyone. Oh wow! Uh oh. <laughs> so before the show even began, HBO's The Young Pope, which premiered Sunday night, <laughs> became an internet meme. Many of which involved people inserting Young Pope into lyrics of songs. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorites was Vulture's own Jackson McHenry's version, which goes, if I may, Young Pope, get out of my mind. My love for you is way out of line. Better run, Pope. You're much too young, Pope. I think that was the best one. Oh my God. I, you know what? I like Marish Kreisman's as well. Yeah, uh, what was we that? don't care about the young pups. We're talking about the Gentiles. I really like that. I, that I didn't. Ha- I didn't come up with one. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, ca- I'm caught out. Alas, mine is but... based on my insistence on calling the show Hot Pope. Okay. Yes, I. You know, uh, I just want to say thanks a lot for doing that because now I, I, I keep calling it that. Well, that's what it. my goal was. So. <laughs> I have actually asked people, it's like, what's good on TV? It's like, have you seen the hot Pope? <laughs> I mean, I mean, ah. So anyway, so mine is, I'm too hot, hot Pope. <laughs> hot Pope, baby, this evening. Yeah. So I think all of this may have confused people about what the show is actually about. <laughs> um I'm sure the I'm sure the uh, uh, I'm sure the loving ass shot of Jude Law in the pilot will further confuse them. And you know, it part of the fun of the show I think is not knowing too much about it going into it about who this pope is. But Matter Jen, do you want to take a stab at explaining, you know, the basics, the basic premise? Well, he's a young pope. <laughs> he's in the Vatican. He's an American pope. Which is uh, I don't believe has ever happened in in the entire history of the Catholic Church. Not that I know of. He's from uh, New York, right? Isn't he from Brooklyn? He's he's I, like Pope, you know. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's uh, uh, he's hot. He's a hot pope. <laughs> 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 oh, he is. It's true. There's no. It's objectively true. Pinnacle of our it criticism is. on the show. It is. It is. <laughs> you know, it's good to have a record of week after week, me in there fighting for my dignity. Yeah. It's great. It's great to have it preserved. It's an archive. It's an archive of of sorts of hot popishness. Yeah, there's nothing I wanted more than to hear myself singing Uptown Funk again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got all of you in there singing. Each one yeah, was, unexpected. Was, yeah, I know. It was it was impressive. <laughs> so, um, continuing on that theme of you know love, you know love, it sort of television crushes. Um, oh. This is a clip oh, that dear. features our beloved Alex Jung, and he's explaining how he has a problematic crush on one of the characters in Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Crashing. That's like a recent problematic crush that I have, Ooh, I think. I like the problematic crush idea. My, my, I think my, we my, have to think about that. that. My problematic crush is Shelley Long on Cheers. Ooh. That's oh, a, why that's, is that problematic? Why is that problematic? Because, oh my God, like she turned Sam's world upside down, shook it, and threw it against the wall, and he did the same with her. 
And also she was a complete, you know, raging narcissist uh, and uh, like a human steamroller. And I found her irresistible. <laughs> yeah, I found her irresistible. But then right, my first... My quality. So what's your problem? No. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but my my first movie crush was Rosalind Russell and Catherine Hepburn in the screwball uh, comedies, which they used to show on Channel 13. So maybe I have a type. Yes. Yeah, maybe I have a type. Wait, I want to know what other people's problematic crushes are. Oh, I'm trying to think. I don't... Huh, I got to think. Problematic. You know, like Diplo. It's like I feel like an er, like a very representative problematic crush on the internet, where like a lot of people have problems with his sort of political representation, right. mm-hmm. who he, the kind of person he represents, but they still like kind of want to bang him. Right. right. <laughs> Sorry, am I bringing this to a no. sordid level? You're no, it no, you're level. bringing you're bringing the real. That's what's, <laughs> that's what's happening. Oof, this is hard. Problematic. Yeah. Like, I think Fitz could be a problematic crush if one had. Oh, my God. You know, Fitz scandal? could totally be a problematic right. yeah. crush. If one liked him. Uh, <laughs> I get Fitz. I, I, I totally actually get, get Fitz. I totally get Fitz. I totally get Fitz. And that's a problem on TV shows. Like, when TV shows have an irresistible uh, uh, attraction, like one of these, like, oh, like a Diane Chambers is that kind of a character, too. You have to cast exactly the right person. Yeah. Because yeah. if people watch the show and they second guess it and they're just like, I don't believe that this other character would be would be like drawn to this mm-hmm. problematic person like a moth to to flame. Right. Then the show is in serious trouble. Right. Yeah. In serious trouble. Right. I mean, I, I think the most obvious answer to that question is Don Draper. I mean, mm. yeah. Although look at he, the he, look at the guy, you know, <laughs> like I think it's that simple. I've had so many people it tell is. me in like discussions of Don Draper, it's like if he didn't look like John Hamm, there's no way that they would put right. up with him. Right. So, and it's it's true in life. Attractive people get away with a lot. Yeah, it makes Mm. sense for the character. (laughs) (laughs) It's for a role. I I, I kind of have one, but it's kind of embarrassing. Spill it. Um, And it was was only for like a moment when I started when I started getting into the voice that I had a little crush on Blake Shelton. (laughs) That's not that bad. I totally get that. He's like country dad. You had, you you too? Yes. Yes. I thought he was hot. And then I was like, oh wait, I read his Twitter feed. Yeah, exactly. He's so charismatic on the show though. Yeah. He's He's so so funny. He's so charismatic. Yeah, he's super charismatic. And him and Adam have their bromance. (laughs) 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 Country dad. I stand by it. Country dad. <laughs> I, and I stand by you for standing yes. by it. I regret you, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> this is this is all taken on a very sexual tone. Somehow, <laughs> no, like yes. Hot Pope and now crushes and I, I didn't oh, realize Obama masturbation. We talked about uh so much so many sexual themes on the show. That's true. Yeah. I regret nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> well, um I well. You know, I'm thinking maybe we could go for a little bit more of uh, an earnest turn here. Uh, oh yes, of course, because that's what that's what the listeners nothing, really want. There's nothing that segues more uh, appropriately than a conversation with Viola Davis. You've oh. talked about growing up with shows like Sanford and Sons and and Good Times and shows that kind of there, when there was an abundance of black sitcoms, but they also kind of made caricatures of the stars. I'm curious what those shows meant to you at that point in your life when you were watching them. They meant everything because they were people who looked like me, who represented the world that I knew. Mm-hmm. And that's what art does at its best, or entertainment does at its best. 
is it tries to include you in it. And so I love that. But one thing that made me know that I wanted to be an actor is I knew the difference between entertainment and real craft. And I wanted to do the craft. I knew the difference between, for instance, Esther Roll and Jimmy J.J. Walker or Isabel Sanford and Jimmy J.J. Walker, you know. I knew the difference with Miss Tyson when she came on and did the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Yeah. I knew the difference, and there is a difference, and you all know what I'm saying, that we weren't just chucking and jiving or just people who had swagger. They were actors who dared to be different and craft a performance of real palpable human beings, something that was different about it that made me lean in and wake up. Man, Viola Davis. I have to say that was I've done a lot of interviews in the 25 plus years that I've been doing this for a living. And she was one of the most intense. And I don't mean like in a, you know, negative way. I mean, just like being in the room with her. There's there's some there's like an energy that mm -hmm. radiates off of her, this purposeful energy that you can feel the second she enters the room. She's got presence. She really does. And she's also super smart. So everything she says is just very like she's just very eloquent. And I think I remember that day we went to the a hotel to, to interview her because it was a junket. Yeah. And we were waiting for like three hours and we're like, I think we debated leaving we at did. one point because we had we other, other things to do. But we stuck it out. And by the time we left the room, we were like. Thank God we stuck it out yeah. because that was like one of the best interviews all of us had done, I think. In fact, something similar like that happened to me several times during the course of this podcast because uh, it was always a junket type situation. Where oh, they, yeah. Ava DuVernay as Ava well, Ava DuVernay right? was another one. And I, I think that was one of the best interviews that I've, was, I've, an incredible interview. I've done about uh, the craft of directing. One of the reasons why it turned out so well is that unbeknownst to me, people don't usually ask her about what she actually does for a living. Exactly. And and that was that was one of the things that she responded to was that she said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm perfectly happy to be ta to talk about being a pioneering African-American filmmaker or pioneering woman filmmaker or talk about the political issues involved. But ultimately, I guess she just wanted somebody to ask her what she does, like what she actually does. And uh, that's, yeah, there was that's a moment there was a moment when you were interviewing her where she actually paused and was like, wait a second. Are you asking me about my work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This clip I'm about to play is from one of the loveliest people that we got to meet, Rita Moreno, when she came to the Vulture offices. I mean, if two people were, two characters were ever made for each other, it's Rita Moreno and Lydia. Yes. I love doing her. And I love her unreasonableness. Because she just she's so convinced she's right. It's ridiculous. I was going to say though, in her mind, she's completely reasonable. Oh, of course. And everyone else is. Of course, off their. Rocker. And you know what I did ask for? I asked the writers when I was talking to them on the phone initially, before there was a even a script. I said I'd like her to be sexual, mm -hmm. uh, because you don't see that. Once people turn a certain age, that sort of gets completely ignored by writers, and it's a shame. And I've always been a very sexual person. Doesn't mean that I'm going around, you know, feeling my breasts and, you know, pressing myself against men and stuff. But I'm a sexual being. And uh, I'm 85 and I'm still a sexual being or a sensual being. And that appealed to them. They like that. And of course, the audience 
loves that. Surprise. <laughs> she was, yeah, she was great. She was great. She, yeah, she, rank it up there as one of the 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 best interviews we've had on this show, just from start to finish. Um, she was a character. Yeah. She's exactly what you would expect in the best way, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and she she had a uh, she she also you know I mean it's uh, kind of ridiculous to keep saying this because there's a reason why these people are famous but very uh, very very charismatic funny person yeah you know? like there's a reason why she's been a star for over fifty years and if it wasn't clear we were talking to her about the Netflix series one day at a time yeah and that's another one that ranks up there for all of us I think that's a very good yeah. show. That's a very good show. My favorite, my personal favorite moment from that experience, though, occurred after we, I think, had finished recording, which is, uh, <laughs> unless you were still rolling. I might have some tape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. No, it was, well, she she had been with Marlon Brando for a number oh, of years, yeah. and I said, you know, I do a Marlon Brando impression. She said, let's hear it. And I said, well, Rita. And she said, okay, stop. <laughs> Yeah, but um, I actually have I have that clip that Jen suggested of Pamela Adlon when she we actually talked to Pamela uh, the day before the election. I remember that was like no a really way. yeah yeah. Yeah, I remember she was telling us, and she was hilarious. She was telling us she that was she was funny. trying to convince her. Uh, like cab driver to vote for Hillary, and he's like, "Well, I thought she was going to jail." And he's, she's like, "No, no, just vote for the girl. Don't vote for the guy. <laughs> right." I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so here's Pamela. One thing that you kind of see a lot on the show is men being dicks in the industry. Like in the episode six, you're filming a pilot with yeah, this yeah. guy who is like, "Well, it's it's my pilot, so it's harder for me," kind of a thing. Um, how much? How much is this kind of? this part of the show called from your own experience? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much everything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, mm. you know, I remember Grant Hesloff and George Clooney did a show called Unscripted and um, with Steven Soderbergh for HBO. And so they brought, I remember it was me and Laura San Giacomo and one other lady actress. And they sat us in a room and they said, we need you guys to tell us about your experience with being female in the business and men being disgusting. You know, and so we basically like talked about it and it's shocking. You know, and this was 18 years ago. Um, so we had gone through the 80s and the 90s of that. So it never kind of ends. And everybody's got those stories. Yeah. You know, just people being inappropriate, you know, talking right into your mouth, grabbing the side of your tit, you know, you know, making Jesus. you, you know, read a certain scene or do a certain gross thing. This was really said to me in real life. Um, somebody that I was working with said, uh, you're my kind of woman. Slap a pair of tits on you. You're just my type. So, you know, we put God. it in the show. Yeah. Pamela. Pamela was a trip. She was great. That show, I feel like, kind of got uh, buried a little because it came out around when Atlanta did. Yeah. And, and it was actually paired with it, wasn't it? 
It was paired with it, and mm. no, it jet, wasn't. It wasn't oh, on the same. It night. wasn't. It wasn't paired with it. It was just running concurrently. At the same time. Yeah, they yeah. debuted at the same. They kind yeah, of. The they kind time. of promoted them around the same time and yeah. stuff. Um, and Jen wrote a lot of amazing things about the show for Vulture. But, yeah, I I loved Better Things and look forward to it coming back. And I just, as you can tell from that clip, like Pamela Adlon is, she doesn't hold anything back. She's very, very honest. And I think that comes through in the show as well. One of the things I loved about that show was it captured, you know, I'm a single parent myself and it captured that feeling that you have. I guess all parents probably feel this at some time where you love your kids, you would die for your kids. But there are also times when you just want to strangle them. <laughs> it really does. You <laughs> know, like I... like she uncorks this kind of primal resentment that you have when you're in a you're an adult. And it's like I thought when I was adult, I was going to be able to do whatever I wanted. And now I'm living for other people. You know, and it's yeah. like part of it's a part of the bargain and you accept it. But like I, I've rarely seen it portrayed so honestly. Mm-hmm. And also the just the the amount of stuff that comes along with it. There's a scene in the first episode where she's shopping with with um, I think just one of her daughters and she just starts screaming, where is the graph paper? And I just, <laughs> like, I've had that moment. I have too. <laughs> so I really related to that. Um, so this next clip is from a lovely guest we've had on the show a couple times, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's Rachel Bloom. And we wanted to make sure we highlighted a conversation with Rachel because she's been a big part of the show. We were talking about the show going in some different directions, but one of the things I also like is that you've already started doing reprises of songs from the first season, like uh, Bringing Back Sexy Getting Ready song, for example, yeah. in a different context. Oh, God. Is that something you yeah. see yourself doing with, with other things you did in the first season as this season continues? That is a giant yes. Um, and I'm very excited to talk to you guys when the season is done. Um, but yes, I love I love reprises because I... You know, the show to me and and to Aline and to the writer's room is a giant musical. And so bringing back musical motifs, um, bringing back reprises, it's a way to thematically tie it all together. And I, I forget whose exact idea the Trent is Getting Ready song was. But, oh, my God, when I heard that idea. Amazing. It's so <laughs> it's and because what that is, is it, it's themes. It's. Of course, like Trent tries just as hard as Rebecca to force himself <laughs> into situations. Like, what a great way to bring back that song. Yeah, Rachel Rachel Bloom has been on the show, I think, three times. She's a friend of the, the fr- show, I guess you could say. I think, I think we can say that at this point. And the first time I wasn't there, that was you and Margaret, Matt. Yeah. And then we had her on a live edition of the Vulture TV podcast at Vulture Festival last year. And then we had her on again last fall with all three of us. And, you know, one of the things that makes me saddest about ending the podcast is not having Rachel Bloom on anymore. I know. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. She's a once once in a once in a generation talent. She really is. And uh, it's great that she she carved out a role that uses all of her different talents and she had to create it herself because nobody else was going to create it for her. Yeah. So it kind of dovetails nicely with that Pamela Adlon clip that we just heard. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And speaking of friends of the show, Damon Lindelof is another friend of the podcast and we've had Damon on the show a couple times. We haven't had him on a lot, but each time we've had him on the show, he was on the show for, a lot of minutes and those were 
great conversations. Was I just imagining it or does he have more scenes with his clothes off this season? Uh, I can't, I can't really speak to what you uh, imagine. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, um, look, when you're, when you're dealing with a, a physique like, like his, I feel like it's actually, um, you know, insulting to Justin well, for, for him to not have his clothes it's off. It's a work of art. <laughs> yes. And was the second time when he, Second he time was to you with, with John. Yeah, he did a right. solo interview with yes, me about that, that about you know stuff he took from my life, right. which was very uh, very unusual. But uh, yeah, yeah, the the most one of the most intimate conversations I've been privy to. <laughs> it was it was a really like neat, wow. really neat interview. I can I can only imagine even reading it felt very mm-hmm. intimate. Um, oh, and there was like and, more stuff that I cut yeah. because it was just too much for listeners who might not know what we're talking about. Um, uh, one of the episodes of The Leftovers in its final season was somewhat um, inspired by Matt's life and uh, some some of the things he had written on his blog that Damon Lindelof had had read. And at the same time, I'm not writing it solely for you, but I had it in the back of my head. And then I think you wrote a piece about Jen, your wife, in like the spring, April or May of last of 16. It was. That was the uh, the tenth anniversary of her death, actually, April twenty seventh of last year. Okay, and you and I have never had a conversation about about your loss. So no, um, not until want, this very you know, moment, actually. First off, I want to say my deepest condolences, and I, you know, as as someone who has been, you know, incredibly happily married with the woman that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, I I, I can't even put into words what. What that? How devastating that loss would be, and the fact that you put you put into you write about her, you know, and particularly that piece, which I think may be the first time that I've learned that you had suffered that loss. Yeah, and it was uh, it was interesting because I was watching the episodes of the first few episodes from season three, and I was thinking, boy, these are really resonating with me in an unusually personal way. And then I uh, got an email from him saying, oh, by the way, the fifth episode is is basically dedicated to you, which is something that's never happened to me before. I mean, like little tiny versions of that have happened where people have said, hey, something you wrote inspired me to do this other thing. But I've never had somebody basically take inspiration from autobiographical writing and turn it into fiction. So that was something new. Yeah, and that it's episode cool. was called um, "It's a Matt 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 World." Oh, it was, yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> there's a character on the show named Matt, so it's not that much of a stretch. But and you know, the character was named Matt in the novel. It's not like he named it after me or anything. But still, it's a little weird. It's a little <laughs> weird. I also i I feel like that speaks to something about Damon Lindelof, which is he's always struck me as somebody who reads. I know a lot of people read criticism and and kind of keep up with that, but he, I feel like he reads it in a very close and personal way that feels different to me. Like I, I could imagine if, if he wasn't doing what he's doing, I feel like he would be doing what we do, which is writing television criticism. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. Maybe in, you know, like in just like on the leftovers, maybe there's an alternate universe where he did that. He recapped it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He recapped it. Yeah. Yeah. This next clip is from the interview we did at, the New York Magazine office with the cast of Search Party. And it kind of was, this year became inevitably tied to politics. And Gazella had posed to 
Ali Shawkat about the election, and it's funny and yeah. Pretty. This was this was right after the election yeah. too. So a lot of our interviews around that time kind of we couldn't help but go there because everyone was like right. It's like in a fog. What else are we supposed to it? talk yeah. about? I remember when like uh like it happened. It was obviously a very disturbing moment, and uh, I was kind of like, how am I gonna go talk about a show? I was yeah. like, yeah. I'm so proud of the show, uh, but I was like, how am I gonna? just like pontificate about being like the funniest thing happened the other day like it's just it's you know all of a sudden when you're hit with the reality of your own life and your Mm -hmm. priorities start to go into question Mm -hmm. which is something that's healthy for everybody is to realize what our real priorities are and how we connect to things um for me which i kind of talked about a little then was that and like the previous question about commenting on this time i think there's such a, a focus on curating yourself now that even if we're trying to show some kind of um, like that we're not trying to have attention or that we're like we're really trying to show how cool we are even if we're like think we're making a joke about ourselves like no one's actually very humble you know because like it's still a good photo of you it's still Absolutely. you doing something really cool and you're like oh I'm eating like whatever like everything I don't care another pizza yeah, exactly. a and whole pizza like, again is that like Zach Braff in the background like yeah. what are you trying to say like everything's like this whole packaged ideal of this perfect life even if you your life usually is never that perfect because no one's like this um and nothing can be captured that way in a photo or a comment so i think with this energy that's so focused into this like inner side of ourselves that we kind of become obsessed with it and it takes you back from what's happening to other people uh i mean like you know whatever to get into it but like this has been going on for a long time shootings have been happening all the time you know what i mean all these things that were just kind of like fuck that sucks and then we just go back to our life this one might implicate us and like affect us it already has and it's so much more disturbing because of that we're like oh it's actually tapping into my bubble now and to bring it back to uh search party on tbs (laughs) (laughs) um is that a lot of their struggles especially dory's is that feeling you get kind of numb when you're just like so detached from things outside of yourself Mm -hmm. and you like why do we feel better when we're in nature why do we feel better when we're helping people it's like it's a natural human urge to want to do that not just to be you know building up this idea of ourselves because it feels fake Mm -hmm. and then you actually don't even enjoy your bliss life i'm like i'm so privileged and like a lot of us was so shocked and it made me like you know I can't feel guilty forever, but I was like, fuck, I've been like going on like this is it, like gravy, baby. You know what I mean? And not mm-hmm. appreciating my life. And I'm like, yeah. the least thing I could do now that's the fastest, appreciate yourself, appreciate your life, appreciate the love you have, be nice to the people around you, and then slowly work from there. Because you can't otherwise if you don't like love yourself. And I think a lot of this generation has a hard time accepting themselves because this never feels like enough. Wow. I think I fell in, I think I fell in love with her like during that speech. <laughs> Yeah, she, she's, yeah, I, I, that was me and Alex Jung talking to Alia, John Early and John Reynolds, the three of the stars of, of Search Party. And the, yeah, the show came right, it came out right after the election. It was right around Thanksgiving. It was right on the edge of the year being over, in fact. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of our colleagues, uh, told me that they would have put it on their top 10 list except it arrived after they'd already filed yeah <laughs> their list and so. it really did kind of tap into the like what she's saying there which she says so well is you know this this like narcissistic culture we live in has kind of kind of made us tune out of everything that's going on around us and i think 
it it did kind of incidentally tap into this feeling that people were feeling even more acutely after the election. Um, so yeah, it's a another another favorite I think of all of ours that show. Yeah, definitely. Do you are we hearing that? Yeah, we yeah. are. It's not in your head, Matt. No, there's some okay. there's something happening. This has also been another constant. Yeah, I, we should say of uh, <laughs> the Vulture TV podcast, like in a variety, not just in this location, but in a variety of locations. Uh, we've had we've been uh, the victim of bad timing, where there's some kind of construction. I assume it's construction, but there are times when it feels, sounds like they're they're drilling for the they're drilling for minerals. A good or chance something. that people are just doing CrossFitty things because Tough Mudder oh is like God. right there, and they have a gym on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. They're like it's pulling either, like blocks of cement or something. Yeah, it's either like just people being really fit or it's not so bad unless there's a point where somebody's saying something that's very very personal to them and then you hear this uh so i actually wanted to play a clip of one of the my favorite arias i ever edited uh of matt and also like felt like a big moment for Matt, in terms of his like revelation about something with TV nowadays. Um, (laughs) Oh, dear God. I have no idea what this is. So, a lot of writing about TV is about the characters, the story, the themes. And of course, you want to know about all of that because most television is literary, it's linear. It tells a story that goes from point A to point B to point C and then ultimately to Z. And then usually the whole thing kind of starts over again at A in season two. Usually. So when you watch TV, of course you're going to keep your eye on all of that and judge it. This subplot isn't working. That monologue was unnecessary. That ending sucked. What happened to the lieutenant? They introduced him with such fanfare and then they forgot all about him. There is no lieutenant. I was speaking hypothetically, but you know what I mean. Housekeeping. Dotting the I's and crossing the T's. There's another way to watch TV, though. (laughs) Miami Vice came on the air in 1984 and blew the doors off everyone's preconceptions of what television drama could do. It was truly cinematic often pretentiously so. The music was moody and loud. The actors' shirts, socks, and sports coats were often color-coordinated to match the wallpaper or the sunset. The scripts were often brilliant, but sometimes terrible. Sometimes you had no idea what was going on, and it didn't matter. Because this show wasn't literature. It was painting. It was music. I call this kind of series a sound and light show, and I don't mean that pejoratively. There are, or there should be, a lot of different ways to watch TV, to experience TV. Viscerally is one of them. As an experience, as much as a story. Maybe more so. When I watch a series from start to finish, even if I don't like a lot of it, it's because the look and sound of the show are so amazing. I just want to feel the show, the way you feel music. Twin Peaks was like that. When people talk about how great Twin Peaks was, they don't mean that every single episode was great or that every moment was great. 
In fact, Twin Peaks was really only great in season one, in individual scenes and episodes during the first half of season two and in the last 15 minutes of the finale. When people call Twin Peaks great, or when they call other shows that are powered by sound and music and image and color and texture great, they mean the feel of it was great. The vibe of it was great. Big Little Lies was that kind of show for me. Legion was that kind of show. The Girlfriend Experience. Hannibal. Even Boardwalk Empire. I disliked a lot of Boardwalk Empire, but I never missed an episode because I loved being in that world. The clothes, the hats, the flapper dresses, the godfather lighting, the ashy waves of the Jersey Shore coming in. I just loved being inside somebody else's dream. That's one of the reasons I love Big Little Lies so much. The way it moved. The story flashing back and forth, skipping around like a mind racing. Thoughts ricocheting around in a dreaming mind. A lucid dream. A waking dream. The sounds of the ocean. The waves crashing. The look on a woman's face as she thinks about what she's going to do next. And on the soundtrack, music joining with the images, carrying the story forward in a gentle rising and falling motion, like a wave. I love that. Mm-hmm. What a what a well-produced aria, too, may I say. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. Nice work, Jordan. Yeah. It was so pretty. So pretty. You really felt the the vibe. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Matt. Matt was like, I think I just have a few a few notes. You can include a few songs if you want. I think they like help. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it was funny because actually that was a week where I forgot that I was supposed to record an aria. Oh. So, so you I did just it on was. The fly. Yeah, I just wrote, sat here and wrote. But of course, a lot of them were written that way. Actually, a lot of a lot of the arias. I don't know about y'all. I, if you, you know, you're probably a lot more prepared than I was. But there are many times where Jordan would go off and do some other work, and I would sit here in the studio and just write stuff out in longhand on the back of you know a a script or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is one that was very dear to me and that's a hobby horse that I ride a lot probably to the irritation of many readers, which is there's more to TV than the plot and the characters and the theme. And, you know, it feels like that applies even doubly for the new Twin Peaks, too. Yeah. You know, it's weird because that was recorded before I had seen any of the new Twin Peaks, but definitely. Although I will say that as of this recording. We're heading up on the midpoint of Twin Peaks, and uh, it's gotten a little more plot-centric. A little bit. Yeah. Don't you think? A little. Yeah. I mean, in the last episode, which we're now recording this uh, two weeks before listeners will have heard it. So the last episode we haven't seen yet. Yes. It will (laughs) be episode nine. Yeah. But yeah, I would agree with that. Well, that's a discussion for another Another day and another podcast. Another podcast. <laughs> sadness, sadness and tragedy. <laughs> this was a conversation we had. Uh, it was me and you, Matt, and it was Alex Jung and a colleague of ours who was recapping Master of None for us, Malika Rao. And uh, this, we had this conversation right after the first season of Master of None came out because 
there were just a lot of conversations around diversity on TV going on at that point because Master of None was like it was huge. It it yeah. was it was a huge moment um, to have that kind of representation on TV. And we had a really great conversation, I think, <laughs> just about, you know, what represent representation on TV looks like, you know, and it was a it was a really great episode. And I really recommend you listen to it if you're interested in that topic. But there was one moment towards the end where Matt shared a story about interviewing Chris Rock. Yeah, I was working for the Star Ledger in New Jersey. I was a television critic. I think I'd only been doing that job for about a year. And um, well, I guess we could just let the clip yeah. speak for itself. Yeah. Okay, so when the Chris Rock show was on HBO, his talk show, there were several shows on the air at the same time. I think there were at least three that had uh, African-American men at the center of them. And I was assigned a story on whether or not there was a different perspective on humor that came from having a black person in charge of these shows. And that's really a very nice way of putting it. But basically it was like, wow, isn't it unusual that we have three shows with black people in the in creative control and in the lead in front of the camera. It really wasn't a developed pitch beyond that. And I, I think I must have known what a kind of mortifyingly backhandedly racist idea this was for a story <laughs> because I didn't tell any of the people who I was going to interview for the story what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just said I was interviewing them. Mm-hmm. And Chris Rock, so I got to interview Chris Rock at HBO headquarters. He had a little office there, and he was so excited to be interviewed wow. by me for this sh- this article I was doing, and it eventually dawned on him that I was talking about him in relation to these other two shows. And I can't even remember what they were at the time. But but he finally, once he pieced it together, his face fell. And he said, what is this article about? And I told him what it was about. And he said, so let me get this straight. You're grouping me with these two other guys because all three of us are black. And I had I was not able to say anything to him except yes. <laughs> and he said he said, "What the fuck kind of story is this?" And I said, I said honestly, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the idea is. I was hoping to make something good out of it. And he said, "Look, I'm not going to tell you what kind of story to write, and I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. I'm just going to tell you that this is very depressing for me. Like as hard as I've worked and as far as I've come." to have a reporter come here and loop me in with two other guys just because they're black and so am I. We talked for a little while more. I tried to salvage the interview. I don't think I ever actually did a piece out of it, but we talked about his favorite films and he was talking about the need to tell stories where the lead character was telling a story that he could relate to that was written by somebody like him. And the only way he felt he could do that was by writing and directing his own material. And the example he gave was Woody Allen, who was a hero to him. And he said, he said, what? He said, there have been no great romantic comedies in the last few years with African-American leads. And I said, sure, there have. And he said, name one. And I said, Love Jones. And he said, what is Love Jones about? And I said, Love Jones is about two super smart, good-looking characters who can't be together because they both have too much pride or something like that. And he said, that's not a story. He said, now, what's the story of Annie Hall? And I said, it's a... 
it's a two smart, creative people get together. He's a slightly older than her. He serves as his mentor as well as her lover. But at a certain point, she surpasses him and has nothing more to learn from him, and they can't be together anymore. And he said, now that's a story. <laughs> and, of course, years later, he made Take Five, mm-hmm. <laughs> which kind of feels like that a little bit. But I'll never forget going out to – walking out of the HBO headquarters with him and he got into a car. He was leaving to go home. And, uh, and I said, well, have a nice night. And he was hanging his head. And he said, he said I'm so fucking depressed right now. Oh. And he got in his car and shut the door. Oh, my, oh my God. Chris Rock. Hmm. Yeah. Chris Rock, if you're listening to this, I was an idiot and I'm sorry. It, I just I thought that was such like an honest moment. Obviously. I thought about it a lot. And in fact, yeah. it happened near you know HBO headquarters where Chris Rock had an office. And uh, to this day... When I walk by that particular, you know, entrance, it's not the main entrance, it's the side entrance. When I walk by it, I cringe. Wow. Thinking about that, I'm like, oh, God, here's where I made a complete idiot of myself with Chris Rock. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but live and learn. Yeah. You know? I would say, you know, I I would like to uh, acknowledge uh, Jen's astonishing scholarship of Gilmore Girls. I mean, and you too, Gazelle, but like, what? I mean, really, I mean, you, you really, you really bring, you're, you're, dro- you're dropping the knowledge, as they said in the 80s. It's been great. It's been great. And, and, you know, it's like, that's your, ver- that is to you what I think Deadwood is to me. Wait, really? No. Gilmore no. Girls? Yes. Correct. No, it isn't. I think Lost is that to Jed. Lost is that to me. Gilmore Girls? Like, I. I didn't even watch Gilmore Girls when it was actually on the air. I caught up with it completely afterwards. You could have fooled the shit out of me. Well, see, there you go. (laughs) So that was all one. That was a cram. That that was a cram session. I was the Gilmore Girls fan who who was deeply disappointed by the reboot. We'll see what happens. I guess. You seem really sad. I, I gotta say, you seem sad. I am. I'm sad about it. I wanted to let. I don't know. I wanted to like it, and now that I don't like it, I want people to hate it with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the American dream. There it is. Yep. yep that, that exactly captures how I. How that, I you know, in about fact, it. that kind of captures a lot of uh, a lot of what we do, just yeah, yeah. generally. I would say. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I feel so lucky to have been able to meet with you, with both of you once a week and just, you know, talk about television. And it's it's sitting in this room right now. It feels like such a nice little bubble, even even though Jen is thousands of miles away and we're looking at her on a screen it feels like oh, she's here with us hundreds very not thousands i, I don't know why say, i said thousands she's she's in she's in australia i didn't know that thousands of miles so far even though jen's on the moon on a moon base on the moon I'm broadcasting from your house it's the big, <laughs> it's the big twist guys she was in australia all along <laughs> But no, I what makes me what makes us so bittersweet is just, you know, having just not having this time with with the both of you. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And you're making me sad. Yeah. I mean, I was sad already, but I and uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. And, you know, it's, it's been nice. It's been really nice. It's great. It's great to it's just great to talk to people. 
it's just great to talk to people and just have a real conversation. And one of the things I liked the most about this show and that I was proudest of was uh, from the very beginning, we we tried to cover as wide a swath of television as we could. I mean, you know, scripted television. We didn't get into like news or sports or anything like that. But um, and uh, the fact that we had multiple uh, hosts meant that uh, you didn't get locked into one mode for very long. You know, mm-hmm. and from the beginning, we had, you know, we started out with our colleague, Margaret Lyons, who's now at the Times. And uh, I enjoyed uh, bantering with Margaret as well, uh, particularly because uh, she and I didn't see eye to eye on on everything. And uh, uh, boy, did she press the attack uh, when we differed. It was great. It was great. It reminded me of like debate in high school. It was terrific. And uh, and then, you know, a lot of the roster of regular guests that we've had over over the years, plural, um, you know, people like Alex, of course, who's just ugh, a delightful person. And I'm so, I, I've gotten to know him much better as a result of doing this show with him. Yeah. You I know, mean, he should have his own podcast. What a prince sure. of a yeah. man he yeah. is. Good Lord. And, and you know, people like uh, Jesse David Fox and uh, Joe Adalian would come in. And Joe, like, who has a voice like... Uh, Made for FM radio in the 1970s. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's great. <laughs> he just sounds great. I could listen to that guy, like, read the back of a cereal box, you know, and just go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he has, has such a wealth of knowledge um, of, on television. It's incredible. Yeah. It's Joe's- great. It's great. And it's also nice to, and this is just a personal thing with me, but that it was a general podcast. It was a general television podcast. And increasingly the trend in the industry has been to um, focus exclusively on a very particular thing. Like in some cases it's one show or it's one kind of show, or it's like, it's all game of Thrones. It's all walking dead. You know, there's podcasts devoted to the West wing and so on. And those are great. But you know, if you love that one show, you know, this is where I go to get my fix. But um, I like the kind of news magazine sort of format where there's a lot of different kinds of things. And maybe you don't watch this particular show, but you might be inspired to watch as a result of hearing people discuss it or avoid it based on hearing people discuss yeah. it if they don't like it, you know. But, yeah. Yeah, we could be a little vicious sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, yeah. I mean, I and I've learned so much from just listening to both of you as well, which has been great because I think what you were saying, Matt, is because because we there are three hosts on the show, oftentimes we do come at things with different perspectives, which in a conversation allows you to see things a little differently than you might not when you're on Twitter or wherever else. Yeah, that's when you're true. actually talking to people. That's true. Yeah. Well, as as I've said before, I'm I'm still convinced that I somehow caused the cancellation of the podcast uh, <laughs> ending since I joined joined Vulture. Well, but um, Jen, you do know you've been on for <laughs> exactly half of its run. So, <laughs> but yeah, it has been nice, as as Gazelle said. I've I've learned a lot from both of you guys. It has been a little bit weird for me just because you know I'm not usually in the same room as you are, so I'm kind of like a a floating head. Uh, and, and there's documentation of myself as a floating head on Twitter when we've we've had pictures of us. <laughs> hey, there's Gazelle and Matt. And I love those pictures because like, why is that laptop there? Gazelle or I are holding <laughs> up like a laptop or an iPad or something. And that's it's like you're it's like you're one of the, the heads on Futurama. <laughs> or I, I prefer to think of myself as Max Headroom. But, you know, <laughs> analogy works. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think and also I don't know if you guys feel this way, but. 
doing what we do, a lot of times you get kind of locked into your own head. Um, and especially for me, because I, I work for the most part from home and am isolated throughout the day. And so whenever we do the podcast was really an opportunity to engage. And even if I wasn't sitting, you know, right next to you guys, it was, it was, it was a, 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 just a great exercise for me on a personal level and hopefully one that was edifying for the, for the listeners too. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to miss doing this. Yeah. And we hope we didn't piss you off too much listeners with our opinions. <laughs> and if we did, it's too late, suckers. <laughs> and, and can we just say a huge thanks to our producer, Jordan Bell, who's made us sound good every week. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. And, and to our previous producers, Sam Dingman, Henry Malofsky, Laura Mayer, who started us out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a great run. And, you know, we hope to maybe we'll... I don't know. Maybe we'll have or a maybe. reunion, you know, uh, uh, ten years from now that'll disappoint we'll everyone. We'll do the TV. We'll do we'll TV, TV podcast. podcast reboot. Reboot. You're in the life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reunion that no one no. wanted. Because <laughs> that will be pregnant, and we won't know who the father was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm pregnant. <laughs> Well, that's it for the vulture. What team. a hell of a note to go out <laughs> yep. on. Who would have thought to say something like that? <laughs> oh, why should this week be different than any other, though? Ultimately, we should all we should all just do our thing. <laughs> just do our thing. I'm popping and locking right now, but you just can't see. <laughs> you might have to clean up this last section a bit. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's it for the Vulture TV podcast. Sorry, I stepped on you. Go ahead. No, please, anytime, Matt. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure, Matt and Jen. Uh, for one last time, I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazella Mommy. I'm Matt Zeller Sites, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zeller Sites. And I'm Jen Cheney, and you can find me on Twitter at Cheney J. Listeners, we love you, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I think we nailed it, guys. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs>